Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Tampa, Florida. Welcome to the show, Daniel Apke. Victor, very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Daniel, you've been at this game a while and you're involved in multiple different asset classes. And I know we're going to talk about land today, which is near and dear to my heart. Before we do, why don't you give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey? Yeah. So I actually originally started um, right after college. I went to Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. I started purchasing real estate rentals. I started with a commercial salon property. Um, I really started having a passion for real estate. But um, as a real estate investor, I thought it was kind of hard to really leave my nine to five job and make that income in real estate. So I, I was kind of looking for ways to really leave my nine to five job at the time I was a salesman. So I, I actually got into online businesses, different e-commerce stuff like uh, Kindle publishing. I was writing books with ghost authors and uh, drop shipping. And I think I had five or six different online businesses, blogging sites, things like that. I exited that actually back about a year ago. I sold those businesses through a broker um, and I'm completely focused on real estate now. But a few years back or several years back, I had a friend in my online business community who was actually buying and selling land across the US. And he said, he does it all remote. He has a team of people in these areas he works with. And it really fit my portfolio at the time. And I had that passion for real estate still. So it aligned with my values and everything I was looking for. So I dove in it, got a lot of good traction with it. And annually, we're closing about 200 to 300 properties a year right now. So we're buying and selling all over the US, primarily in about four or five different states, but we're growing as well. And then after that, I had a bunch of friends, obviously, when they see something successful is going on, they start asking friends and family, can you teach us how to do this? Um, And then due to that, we started our land investing education course. And that's where I'm at today. Fabulous. So when we talk about land, there's so many different plays and we're major land developers as well. And in our view, there's two ways to make, well, maybe more than two ways, but the two principal ways to make money with land from a development standpoint is to take raw land and carve it up, get it entitled and create a multiplier that way. Or you take land in a dense urban environment that's already been carved up and you assemble it back together. And then the third is simply just buy low, sell high. Uh, where you're simply trying to buy at a little bit of a discount to the market or even a steep discount to the market and uh, make some ar- make an arbitrage on on those two on the difference between the buy and the sale not necessarily creating any value per se what's been your approach our approach is buying and selling for more than what we bought it for obviously and we do some um, land improvements and subdividing and we get into some info lots and improve the land a little bit but I'd say about is just buying the land as is, putting it on the market the day we close and reselling for more. And the reason for that is because there are so many landowners in the United States who have land and they don't want it. They're paying taxes on it. Uh, They inherited the property. They live in New York. The land's in Georgia, outside Atlanta. It's just the list goes on. So that's that's our bread and butter, but we do definitely um, develop and improve land as well. Very interesting. So I know that in the case of our business, we really don't go hunting for deals. Uh, You're scouring the landscape, literally, for properties that are just lying in disuse that are maybe not wanted. How do you do that? What's the approach? So we pull thousands of records uh, data in specific counties that we're interested in. So say we want to attack the Atlanta 
Georgia market, we typically go one or two removed from cities we like, one or two counties removed, I mean. And say we're in Monroe County, Georgia, we'll go and pull records from Monroe County, Georgia, from whatever our data shows. So maybe it's one to 10 acres or 10 to 300 acres, whatever we're targeting that area. And we'll pull all the raw land in that area into an Excel sheet. And then based on that and the data we have, we price it accordingly to what we think it's worth. And then we'll take a percentage of what we think we can resell it for and then send the mail out that way. And we're usually sending out 10 to 30,000 a month. We're averaging about 20,000 a month. A lot of people do it a lot less than that. A lot of people do it a lot more, but that's really, that's how it works. So it's just mass mailing, reaching the property owner directly some or expressing some interest in purchasing their property. How do you actually establish what it's worth? Because obviously, you know, from our standpoint, the value of land is linked to what you can do with it. Agricultural land, most places in the nation sell for three to 4,000 an acre, pretty much anywhere in the country, unless you're growing weed on it or something like that. If you're talking about development land, it's a significant multiplier above that. And depending on what that future use is of, of the land, really determines the value. Uh, so you really have to become almost an expert in the local zoning code to determine the value. Exactly. And it's a lot of trial and error. I mean, we we didn't get a property for the first three or four months we've done this. Pricing is definitely the biggest learning curve there is, but once you get it, it becomes easier and easier. We we scrape a lot of the webs for comps and then we pull all the comps into spreadsheets and run a bunch of different analysis. And then from there, it goes over to what we call our test for reason guy. And they look at it, they'll take specific properties and say, hey, if we get this property back, do we want it at this price? And they'll go through, take 10 to 20 of those and then kick it back to the pricing person if they think it needs adjustments. It's really a trial and error thing. It's not easy to do, but there's enough comps and enough ways to really get a good idea of what you think it's worth. But we're not perfect. We send out mail way too high sometimes um, and we send it out way too low sometimes. So it's really just, we'll resend areas based on what we, the feedback we get back as well. Very interesting. So when you're sending that expression of interest, what does that look like? Are you waiting for them to call you back? Um, how, how does that work? So it takes, once we send it out, it takes about two weeks. We have, um, so we put our phone number, email address, all that stuff. We want the most amount of ways people to contact us. And I don't know if I mentioned this. So the first page just describes of the letter, describes what we do. And the second page is the actual legal agreement. So that legal agreement is what we ultimately want them to fill out and sign so we can send it to title and get the process started. But after about two weeks, once we send this out, they'll get the mail, they'll start receiving it and they'll call us back. Obviously we get a lot of hate calls because people don't want their data being shared and all that stuff. So about 70% of our calls are hate calls. And then um, we have a call service we use to answer and filter all of them out. But yeah, they'll call, get the price. A lot of times they want to negotiate the price. Um, They just have questions, want to make sure it's not a scam, things like that. And we have a full-time sales staff here that kind of goes through in their jobs to get the purchase agreement for the least amount of money. Very interesting. So you are you are actually putting out a bona fide offer with your signature on it, and they can just fill out the other half and uh, and sign it. Yep, sign it. Take a picture of that paper. Send it back to us. That gets that gets the process rolling for us. Fascinating. And when you're acquiring these properties, what kind of deed are you seeking? Are you seeking a warranty deed with title insurance? Are you seeking a quit claim deed? that has no title insurance, what's what's the approach? We've always gotten title insurance just because I've heard horror stories on that side. And that's not really, we were getting more into doing quiet title and things like that as well. But historically, we're getting warranty deeds on everything and getting a title search and making sure everything looks good. So we tell 
we tell the end user we'll get them their money within one to two weeks, depending on it, because that's really the only thing we're waiting on to close is the title policy back and then to review that. So having a title report gives you a view of what encumbrances might be on the property, maybe any liens, maybe any easements, things of that nature. But it doesn't help you with understanding things like access to the property. For example, if you have a neighboring property, maybe you need a boundary survey, maybe you need an up-to-date survey. That's certainly not going to happen in a couple of weeks. Maybe the property has uh, an intervening property between that and the public right-of-way and is, is stranded without a proper easement. There's sometimes complexity. How do you deal with that? It depends. If we have a patient seller and we really need a survey or something or to try to get access from another point, we'll do that before closing. If we have an inpatient seller, they really want their money. They're not going to wait a lot around. We'll kind of get the feel for that. And if the deal really makes sense, we'll just go ahead and buy it, get them their money, close it. If we feel confident that we can, you know, fix like a lot of times the surveys come back, obviously they uh, say it was 30 acres and the boundary looks like it's 24. So title company's not going to insure it. Things like that. If it still made sense at 24 acres, what we think it might be based on the borderlines, we'll close it and deal with that later if the deal makes sense. But if it's a deal we don't feel too confident in, we'll kind of go back to the seller and just be like, listen, we have to sort this stuff out before closing this property. And they're usually pretty understanding. Now, when you're placing an offer, are you including just the, the municipal address? Or are you including the full boundary legal description as part of your offer? And, and, and if so, will you accept uh, an old survey or does it have to be an up-to-date survey? We just, we just have the legal address on there. We don't have the legal description, um, but as soon as we get that purchase agreement back, we'll go and dig up the deeds and look at the legal description and read through the deeds. And a lot of times either attached to the deed, there'll be a survey or the owner said, we were getting ready to build something on there years ago. We had it surveyed off. I'll send you that. Um, so we, we can get a lot of information from the sellers as well. Very interesting. And so when you're placing these offers, presumably you have some contingencies in the offer as well, obviously contingent on due diligence, making sure that some of your basic criteria pass. Uh, what sort of things are you looking for? Or is it just a blanket contingency? Yeah, we, we have a due diligence contingency. Things we're looking for, are the biggest things, flood zones and wetlands. We do not want property that's sitting 100% in a flood zone because you just can't do anything with it. And we do get a lot of those back and we have to say no to them. Um, I'd say that's the biggest thing. Another thing is um, zoning, making sure we can do something on that property. Sometimes there's, you know, different things. You can't even put a structure on that property. So that would make it pretty much worthless to us unless it was agricultural land, of course. And then just basic utility stuff. It's really basic due diligence. It's not like I'm inspecting a structure. It's just really make sure we can do what we want to do with that property legally. Fascinating. Now, often land comes with structures on it, and the seller has some notion that land with a structure on it is worth more than the land, and you're just buying it for the land. How do you deal with that? When people think it's worth more than what it is? Yeah. That's very, I mean, everyone calls us and thinks that their land's, you know, the best thing out there. You know how that is. Sure. Honestly, we have an offer on the table. It's kind of like we send enough mail out, accept it or decline, or give us a number that you want, we'll look at it. I personally, we don't spend too much time going. If someone wants way more money than we offered, we just won't really waste our time on that just because we have so many offers out there and we're getting so many deals back that we we sent them an offer. This is what we're doing. We can close in two weeks. Do you want it or not? And if you don't want it, what what's the price you do want it at? And we'll look at it type of approach. So you really are developing a, a deep expertise as if you were local or hyper-local in the market. A lot of folks that I've seen with land plays, doing mailing, mass mailings, 
don't really bother to become experts in, in the local area. And I've often questioned the wisdom of that because land is complex. Uh, and I've always believed that to truly understand the value of land, you really need to dig into those details, which requires rolling up your sleeves and developing that expertise on, on a local county by county basis. Right. And one, one of our approaches to that um, is, like I said, we remail areas because the more deals we get back, the more we know what's going on in those specific areas. So we love to remail. And also we use realtors on the sell side. And then if I use a realtor 10 times for 10 different properties on the sell side, now I have the power to go back to him on the buy side and say, Hey, Lee, what do you think about of this property? Give him the information and he'll give me, he'll stop by the property for me. So we build up those kind of relationships to really understand the markets. Realtors are really big in our business. Um, that's the approach we've taken because I think we can get so much inside information from, from those realtors. That makes a lot of sense. Well, Daniel, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? If you want to learn more, go to uh, landinvestingonline.com. Or if you just have any general questions, reach out to me directly. It's daniel at landinvestingonline.com. And I'll get back with you with any questions you have. Fabulous. Well, love the insight, love what you're doing. And uh, for the listeners at home, definitely reach out to Daniel at landinvestingonline.com. The links will be in the show notes. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow.